It's Mark Anthony here, uh, Demolition News. Um, no intention of going live today, uh, no plans whatsoever, um, but obviously been overtaken by events. Um, I finished a live stream last night and retired to bed mentally drained, even though I never physically drained because I spent most of my day sat down. Um, and my wife, just as I was nodding off to sleep, mentioned the fact that there'd been some sort of incident in um, Ohio. Um, I was only vaguely aware of what she was saying because I was so knackered by that point um, but I've woken this morning to um, the news and I'm, I'm doing this as I'm as I'm going along so bear with me um, apparently there's one person in hospital and at least three unaccounted for after a power plant in Ohio collapsed while workers were inside um, apparently it's in Adams County it's the Killen generating station now obviously for for those of us that are in the demolition business and particularly those in the uk that will have immediate echoes of what happened back in 2016 at didcot um and i think the the, the parallels between the two run deeper than the fact that this was just a power station collapse First of all, there, obviously there is the fact that it's a power station um, and you know that was precisely what happened with Didcot, um, coal-fired power station being taken down to comply with EU regulations on emissions. Um, but then there's also the numbers. Uh, according to, um, I think I'm looking at Fox News at the moment, which is not really my, my normal choice of, of news outlet. Um, but looking at this now, it looks as if there's three unaccounted for and one in hospital that kind of mirrors the sort of numbers we were looking at back at didcot um we, we tend to look back and think of didcot as uh, the didcot four and certainly four men were killed on on that day um but if you remember rightly uh, one of those guys uh, mick collins was actually um recovered almost immediately um and, and declared a uh, deceased in in very short order um but the we had a prolonged period in which the other three were unaccounted for. The other three, obviously, being um, Ken Cresswell, John Shaw, and Chris Huxtable. Um, and I, I'm, I'm reminded, as I often am with these accidents and, and these incidents, of the way that the news unfolded. I, I got a phone call after Didcot. I guess it must have been about 8 o'clock at night. Um and I was asked by Sky News to be on site for, I think it was six o'clock the following morning. So it was a, it was probably the best part of 12, maybe 14 hours after the incident happened. Um, and at that time, um, they were using terms like unaccounted for. Now, I'd been to Didcot probably three or four times previously to that. And Didcot has got a, it's got a train station, it's obviously got a power station but there's not really a great deal else there. Um, and there was there was initially some thought that maybe the three men that were unaccounted for had perhaps left the site for some inexplicable reason and that they would turn up alive and well um, and apologetic for having disappeared for a few hours um, when, when chaos ensued. But as I say, having been to Didcot, there would be no reason for them to do that. There's a McDonald's restaurant about a mile and a half, maybe two miles up the road. Um, but there's not much else. And it, I mean, it was a cold February day. And, you know, there was, I guess, the, the hope that they, they may have just taken it upon themselves to go and grab themselves a cup of coffee somewhere and, and, and get warm. But it, as I say, having been to Didcot, 
that was never likely to be the case. For one thing, the, the, there was on-site facilities, so they, they had no real need to leave the site on the day. Um, and also, this being a power station, getting in and out it was a, an absolute nightmare. As I say, I've, I did it three or four times, I guess. Um, and each time, not only do you have to go through a, a fairly rigorous signing procedure, you had to then be accompanied from the gatehouse to um, the office of the demolition company involved, which was only 200 yards away. I mean, you could see one from the other, but you still had to be accompanied. Um, so, again, going back to Ohio, you know, this this speculation that, that people are unaccounted for and, and clinging to the hope that they will be found um, safe and well, um, Jason, yeah, I, I certainly echo what you're saying there. I certainly hope they are found safe uh, and sound very quickly. Um, looking back with uh, with the Didcot experience, when I first arrived on site, um, there was a lot of talk among the assembled press that maybe, um, if they weren't unaccounted for in, in that they'd left the site was that, that there may have been some sort of basement structure uh, beneath the collapsed boiler house and, and maybe the three guys that were still missing uh, had been working in there and, and maybe they'd been protected from the collapse when it happened um, I, I think everybody underestimated the sheer force of, of maybe 15 or 20,000 tons of steel coming down and, and, and what that could have done to to a basement structure, but you know, I, I think at that point everybody was just clinging to hope, probably much as they are doing in Ohio as we speak. Um, but there was the nagging away in the back of my brain was the fact that it was it was bitterly cold. Um, it, I mean, it obviously did got happened in, in February, and it was bitterly cold. Um, so anybody that laid undiscovered would have been in a pretty poor state, um, even just through the weather. Um, and and I could sense I I was as I say I was there from maybe six five fifty or six o'clock in the morning. Um, and as the day progressed, you could feel you you could actually feel the the hope starting to ebb away. Um, a lot of the questions that I faced when I first arrived and then a lot of the, the speculation among both the press and the local people just started to dissipate. Um, th there was there were ambulances coming and going. Um, I'm not entirely sure to this day what they were doing because obviously it will be quite some time before the, uh, the three unaccounted for men were, were finally recovered. But it was... It was probably around about lunchtime, I guess, that, that people started to talk about um, what had initially been a rescue mission, um, and it was starting to become a recovery mission. I think it was it was probably several more days before anybody publicly admitted that, but that sense was that was tangible on on the day after Didcot um, and. Again, it, it, seemed, it feels like such a strange thing to be talking about something that happened almost five years ago um, in comparison to something that happened just a few hours ago. But I, I know from, from having gone through the Didcot experience, news is not forthcoming. You know, there's, a, there's an awful lot of speculation. Um, one of the things that annoys me to this very day was the number of people that took it upon themselves to turn up uh, and mingle with the press in the immediate aftermath of Didcot. 
uh, and attempt to pass themselves off as some kind of engineering expert. Um, there were local people that, that swore blind. They'd predicted the collapse and that they'd seen it uh, coming. Um, you know, they 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 apparently had some inside track on on what had caused the accident and and are therefore you know decided that this was going to happen and and they were delighted with their 15 minutes in the spotlight when it did happen because it got them on the on the telly um we also had politicians jumping on the bandwagon as well um talking about how, how you know demolition needed to get its act together and and so on down the line um but the one of the things that, that stuck with me from all of that was the fact that th there was just a, a a huge amount of silence um despite the fact that the, the, the press and it wasn't just uk press it was it was local press it was regional press national press and even international press on the day after did cut happen um and there were hundreds of local people there as well um and we were basically talking amongst ourselves because nobody knew anything um we, we knew obviously that part of the boiler house had collapsed we knew that there were men unaccounted for but we didn't know who they were we didn't know where they were we didn't know their names um where they might have been working when it happened um and all of it just descended into just speculation you know just people trying to fill airtime um with, with speculation and, and it, it i mean it certainly gave me an insight into how the the, ro the rolling news media works uh, as i said earlier i was invited to attend by sky news um which i did i probably spent about an hour on and off maybe a little bit longer with with sky news going uh, live to air several times during that time um but over in the background there was a there were several more camera crews and, and literally as i was coming off air somebody would come over and say um you know we're from itv um who are you oh, well, I'm, I'm mark anthony i'm from demolition news or could you come on our, our channel as well so i i did itv as well and then that one would come to an end and then somebody else would come over oh well we're from channel four news or we're from the bbc or we're from radio oxford or whatever it might be and and again it was just to fill airtime nobody knew anything i know nothing to this day i know nothing I, all I could bring to the party was the fact that I knew the company involved. Um, I'd been on the site several times before, but I had no idea what had caused it. Um, I had no idea about the the location of the of the three men that were unaccounted for and and feared perished. Um, but the media just needs to fill airspace, um, and I I fear that will probably, well, almost certainly be the case in the US, the country that originated the uh, the rolling news media. Um, so the families of the four, of, of the three men, sorry, the three unaccounted for men in Ohio um, will now be looking at, at days and, and possibly weeks of speculation and theory based on nothing often um, about the whereabouts and, and the likely outcome of a collapse um at another power station Did, i think one of the reasons that i've decided to come on live today as well um is, is i don't suppose for one moment that anyone um in ohio is watching it's probably early hours of the morning over there now uh, and they frankly have got better things to do but we've we've learned no lessons over here um from the didcot disaster um it'll be 
five, the fifth anniversary of Didcot in just a few months. Uh, we're no nearer now finding out what actually caused that collapse. Um, there have been no no prosecutions, no presented findings, no public inquiries, nothing like that. Um, so we're we're still very much in the dark. And and worst of all is the fact that the 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 four families of the guys that were killed at Didcot are still waiting for some sort of closure, some sort of explanation as to why their their loved ones didn't return home that day. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second. But one of the things that that I think makes Didcot as memorable and unforgettable and momentous as it was, um, was the fact that there was this this sudden outpouring of, of concern and everybody within the UK demolition industry and further afield turning their attention to Didcot and yet it would be another six months before the bodies of the three missing men were recovered and returned to their families. Um, I, I can only imagine how painful that six months must have been for those families. The, the not knowing, um, you know, the, 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 the constant waiting by the telephone for the dreaded phone call that confirms well you already know you know i after six months i think we we'd all accepted the fact that those three men had had tragically perished um, through no fault of their own but that constant waiting for a phone call must have been like torture um and yet here we are we're, we're almost five years down the line and there are now another three families on the other side of the atlantic that are likely to go through precisely the the same process i, I can only hope that the american authorities act more swiftly um, and more decisively than than those in the uk have uh, and continue to do it became very clear early on um, I mean, literally within hours of, of the Didcot disaster happening, that a key concern was a, a possible future prosecution, um, literally with dust still in the air at Didcot. Um, the site was sealed off and, and declared a crime scene. Um, and an investigation ensued and the health and safety executive basically took control of the site um, was that the right thing to do yes it probably was there was still a large part of the power station um, boiler house standing um, and declared unstable so yeah they were possibly or probably right to take control but but that then clouded the way that the investigation progressed and that rather than as uh, I, I, I took a lot of phone calls over the over the days that followed uh, Didcot um, from fellow demolition men and women a lot of them were volunteering to get down to Didcot to get behind the levers of a digger and to move the tangled mess of, of 15 or 20,000 tons of steel um, to rescue or recover or to find the 
the men that were still missing. Um, the health and safety executive decided that was not the case. Um, they instead decided that the best approach was a meticulous and forensic examination of um, all of that steel, um, even though that meant that three men were unrecovered um, for just a, a, an incredible amount of time. I mean, we, we are talking about uh, a power station in the UK. We're not talking about a rescue mission to the moon or the seabed. You know, the, these were men that were reachable and should have been recovered in, in far shorter order. Um, but they weren't. They weren't. Um, and it, as I say, it would be another six plus months before they were. Um, and with each passing day, the the sadness and the wear on those three families must have just been unbearable. Um, and yet here we are. You know, we, we are five years down the line, almost. And we're going to go through the same process again. As I said earlier, I can only hope that the American authorities act more swiftly and decisively. And if if we are sadly talking about a a recovery rather than a rescue mission, I, I hope that they can perform that in in short order um, and and give some. I can't even think of the word. A comfort is comfort a word in that context, but but to give something back to the families and say, you know, this is what's happened. We can confirm that your loved one will not be coming home. Um, it's it's pro well, it is unquestionably the worst news that a family member can can possibly receive. But it's got to be better than that constant waiting for a phone call that that seems to never come and then finally does six months later I, I also want to touch on the fact that this is um, it's another power station um, I've been quite vocal about the fact that um, we've had no findings yet from Didcot <clears throat> I understand I do understand I, I, I have been critical of the HSC in the past and, and probably will be again in the future Um but Didcot was always about more than Didcot. The very reason that, that Didcot and um, the power stations at Longanet and Grain and various others in the UK have, have been demolished or decommissioned and subsequently demolished was part of an EU directive to um, take offline and demolish coal-fired power stations that were belching noxious emissions into the Earth's atmosphere. Now, as I say, that was that was an EU directive. So here in Europe, there were dozens, if not hundreds, of power stations that were facing a similar fate to Didcot. Um, certainly, the, the speculation and the phone calls that we received um, initially came from the likes of Germany and France and Spain and Italy as other demolition contractors who were potentially facing the demolition of something very similar to Didcot were looking for some possible feedback, for some possible advice, for some sort of indication that, that maybe, maybe the health and safety executive had found some fundamental weakness or flaw in the design of a coal-fired power station. 
Now, as I say, that was an EU directive that, that, that didn't necessarily apply elsewhere, but the world the world has simultaneously recognised the threat to the environment from fossil fuels and from coal-fired power stations. So although that was an EU directive, those power stations have also been coming down as far afield as Australia, um, New Zealand, and obviously America. And I know America was, was has been somewhat tardy in signing up to uh, emissions regulations and um, and emissions initiatives, but they're in the same boat. You know, they are they too are facing um, the the demise of coal-fired and fossil fuel power stations, and it now appears that, that part of the legacy of those fossil fuel power stations is not just the problems that the emissions themselves cause but it's potentially the the death of people that are charged with taking those those power stations down and and, and decommissioning and dismantling them could we have learned anything from didcot no you know, as I say, it's early days. I'm, I'm literally watching a news ticker going past on my screen as as I'm talking to you. I don't know the first thing about the uh, the power station in in Ohio. I'm sure that will become clear over the following days as 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 I dig a little bit deeper and as news starts to emerge. But you, there there are there, they've got to be parallels, and and there is a nagging thought in my head. And I, it's something I've heard before, but but it seems even more apt today. There is a nagging thought in my head that somewhere in um, a laboratory or an investigation unit in Buxton in Derbyshire, which apparently is where the uh, the Didcot investigation is taking place, there could be locked within all of that tangled steel um, an unspoken secret that that might potentially have saved. The lives of, of three people in in Ohio and, and could still potentially save the lives of others in other um, power power station decommissioning and, and demolition projects in another part of the world or possibly here, even here in the UK. I hope that's not the case. Um, I, I I hope that when the HSE do finally present their findings um, and. A, a potential and probable prosecution takes place. Um, I hope it's proven that, that something else caused that collapse. And that even if the HSE had responded immediately, you know, within hours and, and given their findings within hours, that it wouldn't have had any influence on, on the project over in Ohio. But as it stands today, we, we just don't know. You know, there there is, there remains a very real possibility that, that there could be some fundamental flaw in the design of a power station, that some kind of smoking gun that the HSE is sitting on for nearly five years later um, and has, for one reason or another, chosen not to air. Um, I, I think one of the things that, saying one of the things there's so many things that, that play on my mind with with didcot and and what happened in its aftermath 
to to make a future prosecution the focus of your investigation misses the point uh, and misses the point by a very very wide margin um first and foremost in when didcot happened there were three families three extended families um that didn't know what had happened to their loved ones that that couldn't bury their loved ones that that couldn't couldn't get on with their lives with any kind of closure <clears throat> excuse me i need to take a tablet bear with me blood pressure <clears throat> blood pressure sorry yeah there were there were three families that couldn't move on with their lives and i i know that that one of the guys um his daughter has since got married um her father couldn't be at the at the wedding um and she is now faced with having to get on with her life without <clears throat> the the man that should have walked her down the aisle um and from, from literally from day one the, the focus just seemed to be on an eventual prosecution rather than restoring the the remains of the four or the three men actually uh, restoring the three men to their their families to the bosom of their families and allowing them to to be buried um and and to give those families some closure that the fact that they were denied that and denied it for such a long time i mean 6 months my my father's um, I've, i've mentioned this before so it's no great secret my father's not not well at the moment um no he's got he's got numerous things wrong with him and and one of those is um he he has cancer um and he's not he's not even 80 yet um so you know by modern standards he's not an old guy um but i am now at the point where if my phone rings and it displays uh, either my mother's name or my sister's name the first thing that goes through my head is the the fact that this is the call that i i've been dreading he's not even in hospital at the moment you know he's um he's on oxygen um and you know he's he he has his highs and lows um but i'm i am living day to day and day after day with the thought that i might could get that phone call those people those families of the three men that initially were unaccounted for at didcot lived with that for six or more months um every time the phone rang they must have they must have just been filled with an overwhelming sense of dread um and we now have another three families of working men the other side of the atlantic who are now facing that same prospect that same dread of a phone call um to tell them what i'm sure they already fear but but to confirm that their worst fears have been realized i i do you know i'm not even sure why i'm why i'm live at the moment um i've not even i've not even written about the fact that the uh the ohio collapse has happened yet um i sat down to start um and did got just came rushing back and <clears throat> i think it's important to point out that all i am is a journalist 
I had no emotional connection to any of the the, the, the four men. I, as far as I'm aware, I never met the four men um, that, that died at Didcot. I may have done, because as I say, I, I, I went there several times. Um, but I was escorted around on, on each occasion, met quite a few guys, but only to say hello to, so didn't really do formal introductions. So, you know, I. but as I say, I had no no emotional connection, no sentimental connection to the, to the four men that died there. Um, when I was visiting as a journalist, I was there as a journalist. I wasn't there to become part of the Didcot family. Um, I was just a, a passing guest, and I'm sure the Didcot Power Station project probably had a, a fair few pa passing guests over the months that it was taking place. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, the, the point I'm trying to make is I, I have no reason for Didcot to have left the scar that it did on me. And yet it did. It really did. Um, I I still get, on a regular basis, I on a regular basis, that's probably overstating the point, but with each, the, the approach of each anniversary of the Didcot disaster, I tend to get phone calls from... Um, it started out as TV news stations, um, but they apparently have moved on. Um, I now get phone calls from the local press and from local radio. And and those those phone calls, I actually wrote about this um, about a year ago, almost a year ago. And, and those phone calls always start the same. Um, you, you get a researcher saying, uh, hi, Mark, um, are you aware that this weekend marks the fourth or the fifth anniversary of the Didcot disaster? Uh, am I aware? It, 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 I can tell you now, it will soon be 260 weeks since that disaster happened. Um, it would be wrong to say that I think about it every day. But the words, things, you know, things like, obviously, the mention of the word Didcot, mention of the word power station, accident, fatality, immediately, immediately transports me back to, to the, the day that that happened. And I, it's bizarre, some of the things that you remember from a day like that. I, I was driving back down the M40. Funnily enough, I'd been fairly close to Didcot um, on the day that it happened. And I heard on the, 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 um, the radio news that there'd been an incident that did got and as i say having been there my immediate thought was oh did got and then they mentioned it was a power station well for those that, that don't know there is a did got a and a did got b um and at the time the, the radio news wasn't being specific about which one the incident happened at but as i say having been around um the project having seen the demolition taking place firsthand having you know, seeing the, the company that were doing the work there. At no point do, during the next hour, two hours of my journey home, did I even for one moment think, I wonder if that's demolition related. That, that was like the furthest thought from my mind. Um, I'd, I'd seen the, the professional way that the demolition work was being conducted there, and there was, it was just inconceivable. You know, this this accident must have been something else in my mind. It was only when I got home um, 
my phone started to ring. <coughs> um, and again, you know, there are echoes of what's going on in Ohio at the moment. I, one of the news reports I'm, I'm reading was um, somebody who lives near the plant uh, has told uh, the local news that he heard a sound that was similar to that of a train derailing. Uh, derailing. We had the same with Didcot. It wasn't, although it was, you know, it was very close to uh, a, a train station. Everybody, I think, at the time, was talking about explosions. Their local people had heard such a loud boom that they swore that it must have been um, an explosion. And given this was 2016, 15 years after uh, 9/11, and we'd obviously had uh, other terror attacks, you know, I, I think there was a very real concern that maybe this had been some sort of targeted terror attack um i, I was certainly asked that uh, when i first arrived um on on site uh, the, the day after it happened but it's it, as i say it quickly became clear that this was a, a a demolition related issue um and it looks rather like we've got that again over in ohio you you be not you, I. I have become painfully aware. Um, I I use words for a living. That, that's I bring very little else to the party, but I, I use words for a living. I've been writing about construction and demolition and construction equipment for 30-odd years. Um, words are the thing that, that pay my bills and, and keep the roof over my family's head. Um, but it's at times like this and at times like the immediate aftermath of, of Didcot that you realise that you haven't you haven't got the words that you need. Um, I, I find myself writing more often than I I would like. My thoughts are with the family. I, I know a lot of people say thoughts and prayers. Well, I don't do prayer. It's a personal thing, but I don't do prayer. Uh, my thoughts with the family. Th they are. But, but what does that what does that even mean? But you know what? There are three families in, in Ohio now that are dreading a phone call to confirm that their loved one is not going to be coming home. The thoughts of a journalist five thousand miles away on the other side of the Atlantic mean nothing mean nothing at all um so yeah my, my thoughts are with them but my thoughts are with the authorities i guess and and with the demolition industry as a whole um th this is a, a, a thing that needs to be resolved um <clears throat> i can sense i'm rambling now but one of the things that, that i try to do when when i'm interviewing people interviewing demolition people um i you know i you ask them the, the same question how do you get into demolition blah 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 you know that if you've read demolition news you you know the score if you've read demolition magazine you know the kind of things that we ask but there's a, a there's a question that i i've i keep up my sleeve um not to throw people off because that's not the sort of interview that i do but it's a, a question that, that sometimes elicits a, an interesting response and that question is if, if you were king of demolition for a day, 
and you could do anything. You know, just had just had a magic wand that would allow you to do anything. What would you do? I, I asked that question. I've never been asked that question. Um, if I were asked that question, it would be to resolve this situation now. I, I was sent earlier this week um, details of um, an incident that had happened with a piling rig on a, a on a site in the UK. Nobody was hurt, nobody was killed, but a piling rig here in the UK had tipped over and subsequently been righted. Now, the contractor that was involved in that issued a public statement on the fact that, that this incident had happened. How refreshing is that? And, and how alien in demolition is that? Here in here in demolition, we, we try, or we seem to try our best to pretend that accidents and incidents don't don't happen. It's not that we turn a blind eye, because that is certainly not the case. But we don't share the details. Um, I mean, with Didcot, we're not allowed to share the details because it's all trapped in legal process and, and so on down the line. But there are learning learning opportunities that are going to waste. So that would be what I would wave a, a magic wand at. And, and that, that statement from the, the piling contractor, it, it achieves so much. For one thing, it, it shows that they're taking ownership of an incident. As I say, it's a non-fatal incident. And nobody was hurt. But they are taking ownership. They are standing up and saying, something went wrong. We're dealing with it. Straight away, that deals with any press speculation. So, you know, it, e even the, the lowest of the low tabloid press, you know, the Daily Mail, in the face of a statement that says we are dealing with it, can't speculate that they were negligent or, you know, they, they'd they'd let people down or they'd put people into harm's way. Straight away, that is nipped in the bud. And more than that, that piling contractor, by sharing that information, has raised a potential concern in the minds of other piling contractors. If that if that one public statement is then seen by another piling contractor here in the UK, in America, Australia, wherever, and they they go to work that day and think, <clears throat> I'd better be just that little bit more cautious because I don't want the the same thing to happen to me that happened to the piling contractor in, in the UK, you could potentially save a life with that information. And that's where we are with, with Didcot, with Ohio. You know, we, we need these things to be out in the open as quickly and as pain, painlessly as is humanly possible. We shouldn't be talking about a lack of resolution of Didcot five years after the incident happened. We shouldn't be sending men and women into the demolition of power stations not armed with all the facts five years after a, a boiler house collapsed during a, a power station demolition. It, it just should not be the case. It's a bizarre, I'm, as I say, I'm rambling now, but it's, it's, it's like homelessness and child poverty. You know, we are we're in 2020, heading into 2021. The fact that that those things and and 
investigations into accidents are taking so long should not be happening in this day and age there are odds with everything else that we do i i mentioned earlier on the fact that we we have a, a rolling news media that rolling news media for good or for bad and and i i kind of blow hot and cold on the subject in terms of uncovering things is is just so so good now i i remember being transfixed by the events of of 9 11 and, and watching that unfold um I mean, literally as it happened um i also remember switching on the tv to to watch what was taking place with the uh the attack on the offices of the french satirical magazine uh, charlie hebdo uh, a few years ago and the news media were there they were revealing the facts there and then how is it that a you know in some cases a single journalist and a single cameraman can do that and yet the combined forces of the health and safety executive of Thames Valley Police and Lord alone knows how many other people um, have taken five years and we still don't know what happened at, at Didcot. It just, it, it blows my mind. Um, and I, I, I'm just hoping against hope that, that when the findings are presented that there aren't, there aren't facts within those findings that, that could have present, prevented what's happened in Ohio. Um, I, I don't really have any anything else to add. Um, as I said, I don't not entirely sure why I, I came on. I guess it's become my outlet. Um, there was there was a time um, pre March when my immediate reaction to news was to reach for the keyboard and turn on the screen and start typing. Um, after a year in which we've we've recorded 200 plus live shows my inclination now apparently is to switch on the camera uh, and to start rambling um most of the time when i do that i enjoy it i enjoy the the interaction with the people that are watching which you don't get with with a printed magazine or even with a website um you tend to throw that sort of news out there and hope against hope that somebody reads it and somebody bothers to respond whereas with uh, a live show um you, you get the, the feedback immediately um like we've had there uh, from from jason um and I, I i think he's just triggered um to to tell one of his friends to to tune in as well we we get that immediacy and immediacy is is what we need uh, right now i'm going to sign off in a second we need immediacy with with investigations into accidents and, and even more so with fatalities uh, we may need immediacy with the rescue and the recovery of workers that are involved in an accident um, and, and we need immediacy in the investigation um, it, it is it is trite and it is pointless utterly pointless but my thoughts are my thoughts are with the families of the uh, the three men in in uh, Ohio. My thoughts remain with the uh, the families of the the four men that were killed at, at um, the Didcot Power Station. I I hope I'd, I'd I'd like nothing more than to be on it here later today to say um, the three men in Ohio have been found safe and well, um, and that the HSE has presented their findings. 
um, and that the the families of the guys that did got can can have a Christmas with some closure. I'm not expecting either of those things to happen. So I've got to go and do my best to write about um, the Ohio incident. Um, I do appreciate you being here. Um, is this cathartic? Maybe. It's good to get it off your chest. But one of the things I, I like about the live stream format is that I can go on for as long or as little as, as take as the time takes. Nobody's going to read a 10,000 word article. Certainly not one from me. Um, but they do seem willing to, to sit here and listen to me ramble on for 45 minutes or however long it's been. So I'm going to let you get on with your day. Um, as I say, my thoughts with the family in Ohio, or the families in Ohio, uh, with Didcot. Guys, please stay safe. Look after yourselves, look after your family, your friends, and your loved ones. Um, take care at work today, and I'll see you again very, very soon in, in what I hope are more cheerful circumstances. And thanks for watching.